Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. My name is Steph. Joining me this week will be Ricky, Gareth, and the return of Milo. Hi, Hello, guys. Hey, How are you? Hi, Steph. And this week, uh, with the Premiership already giving way to an international break, meaning the mighty Tottenham Hotspur remain top for another week, and the Woolwich Wanderers, uh, you know, no, let's let's not call them that. Let's call them what they are. They are Arsenal, and they remain bottom for another week. So with all that happening, this week we'll see us review the transfer window, which, as we all know, closed on September 1st. We'll evaluate how our squad looks today and how that reality matches up against the squad review episode we recorded back in June, and we will take some time to grade the work of Fabio Paratici, Steve Hitchin, and the main man, the originator with the flavour, the General Levy himself. All right, chaps. Hello, and uh, let's start with this week's icebreaker question. If you were on Mastermind, what would your specialist subject be, Gareth? Um, well, good evening, Steph. I think, well, I'm going to be a bit brute one and say Tottenham Hotspur results from 1988 until 2021, probably. But um, if, if that one was already taken, um, there's not a great deal of things that are important that I know. So I'd probably go for um, the life and times of Zach Morris and the Saved by the Bell crew. I, 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 <laughs> what is there to say? What is there to say? He's just come in with with an angle that is so obtuse to me. I don't even know what that last bit you were talking about. What, what, Say, by the way, it was shot about well, probably ten miles down the road from where you live. That was well, it, I, it was I, an American I, teen yeah, comedy no, from the nineties. Right. Well, you've already won the mastermind round on that. By I didn't even know what it was, <laughs> Milo. <laughs> Uh, a, a brilliant start, by the way, you. Gareth. You, you, you win already, Milo. Um, well, a, f- a few years ago, I would have gone the novels of Kurt Vonnegut, but um, unfortunately, I don't get much time to to read him anymore. So I probably have to go Paw Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> Sign of the times, yeah. that one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> spoken by someone, spoken by someone, Ricky, who's been there, done that, and has found a new mastermind subject, which is. Um, now, this is a tough one for me um, because I think in years gone by, all my mates used to say, oh, yeah, you know, you know something about everything. And I could hold a conversation with, you know, with people about all kinds of subjects. But in the last 10, 15 years, that's gone fully into reverse. And basically, I know fuck all about anything really these days. <laughs> is that your specialist <laughs> subject? <laughs> Ricky, <laughs> your specialist subject, fuck all on everything. <laughs> but no, um, I suppose, you know, in keeping with tonight, Pod, it'd be handy if it was like um, the Tottenham Hotspur transfer window, um, summer 2021 22. But it ain't. No, what I'm going to go for is the Tour de France 1990 to the present day. Wow. There you go. Wow. Very good. Because that's one thing I will watch, still watch religious, religiously. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm with you. I wandered down the road of fuck allness as well. I mean, I, I, you know, the, I'm an, a jack of all trade and a, a thorough master of none, in my opinion. I could tell you little bits and bobs about things and bits and bits and bits. Anyway, I, so I'm on your street. Yeah. That being said, if I'm forced into a corner, I will say the films of Stanley Kubrick, 1969 to the day he died. Um, that will probably be something I feel fairly confident about. And I'm trying to think of anything else I feel confident about. And there isn't. As a matter of fact, no. I realise I'm useless at quiz shows. So I have to say that this week's this week's icebreaker question left me just imagining how few points I'd get if I was in that chair. 
you know and it made me think of the young ones when they do university challenge scumbag college and i realized that actually that i can't remember the lyrics to 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 songs for bands that i've worked with and worked with still but i do remember that the world's stickiest bogey was by toxith o'grady usa so, does that count as a subject the young ones, the young ones. anyway I do know something about Tottenham Hotspur, though. Otherwise, I might be getting my P45 from you tonight. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, one subject I do keep up on. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose the live the the, the live loves and lemon auras of Mauricio Pochettino would probably be a subject of mine or mastermind. I could probably do that. I could probably have a go at that. <laughs> I think you're probably anyway, winning with that one, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, flapping around as we are, it seems that Gareth. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, my word. I, if if we ever get elected to go on mastermind how <laughs> about you you chaps but gareth is my choice anyway right thank you very much for joining us we've used up all our time talking about mastermind <laughs> no that was the week that just was was it is it has it been it has been and in that week that just was we welcomed a new member of the Spurs and the Game is About Glory family on Thursday, the 2nd of September. And for all of us, this is probably the most significant news of the week. Well, no, it is the most significant news of the week, as our very own Awesome Dawson became a dad to a wonderful daughter for the first time in his life. Being born when Spurs are top of the league and Arsenal are bottom? Well, it doesn't get much better than that. And all of us send the Awesome team, Mr. and Mrs. Awesome, and their lovely new daughter, our love, a massive congratulations. Yeah, that yeah, right, yeah. lads? Yes. Yep. yep. Very good. So, back into the football matters of the week that was. We picked up Emerson Royal from the Camp Nou Carbuda on 31st of August. An aggressive defender who had a good season last year at Real Betis. He's leaving Barcelona after only three appearances. And word has it that that is only happening because of Barca's financial issues. Yes, the same ones that have seen them give Atletico Madrid Antoine Griezmann back. Uh, chaps, what do we think of this acquisition? Yeah, Pretty decent. He's meant to be a bit raw, but you know we're we're lacking a decent specialist right back. And I think Tananga is is great against uh, the bigger teams uh, where we need to sit back and um, and, and um, defend you know, a bit more. But um, that doesn't do us uh, for for the rest of the game. So I think a, full, a fullback who's more comfortable getting forward and getting balls into the box, getting assists. I think he had the second most assists in La Liga last year. So there's something there. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the Tang- Tanganga's form has obviously that put the kind of brakes on mm. the Tommy deal because they're similar players. Um, and so we need, a, as Milo says, specialist right back, someone that can go forward more, which you could say, oh, well, that's Doherty. But I think, you know, the jury's out on that one as well. So, um, which is quite harsh considering Nuno knows Doherty quite well. So it must imply that, no, I do need a new fullback and, you know, Emerson arrives. I don't think Doherty's going to be seeing a lot of football, is he? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know much about Emerson Roy, Royal. Um, since La Liga took the big pay packet of going on to Premier Sports or whatever channel are on these days, they, they slip well down my list of mastermind topics. Um, so I haven't seen him play. Uh, I've heard mixed reports. Tim Vickery, who seems very well versed on a lot of South American players, was quite underwhelmed by his by his signing. Um, so I, look, I, compared him to Mycon, didn't he? That was what I had read. He compared him to Mycon. Yeah, I mean, wonder whether he'll have the same Uber account as Mycon did when he was in North London. Let's let's hope not. Um, but. <laughs> 
We needed a right back. I know we're going to talk about the squad. I think that was the one position where we definitely needed an upgrade. Mm. And I, I guess we'll see. It was probably a bit of an opportunity signing. He was available because of the mess or at the price he was at because of, of Barcelona's financial turmoil. So, so you know, let's have a look. We've got Tanganga there. He's a you know, pretty good backup option. Let's say that for the time being. One thing, I think it's Royale rather than Royal. Oh, don't I say believe that. So. I hope he wasn't going to become known in the dressing room as right rule. Fuck up. <laughs> no, we're going to have to have we're going to have to do some research here because I'm not having that. Royale would have an E. I've heard his name isn't even Royal. It's a nickname. It's a nickname from I his bet he on the back of his shirt, won't he? Uh, he had E Royale at um, Betis. I I would like to know the, uh, the 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 root of this Royale versus Royal. This, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's the sort of pedantry you get with the games about glory. We take name pronunciation very seriously, as you will have noticed in all the previous <laughs> episodes where we have nailed everyone's name perfectly. <laughs> and we can we want to continue that tradition. I am sticking to my guns. Royale comes with an E at the end. Milo? I'm just passing on what I've read. Oh, come on. He's, he's out of practice. You know what? He's been so busy getting his decks out for the lads the last few weeks around the country, spinning all manner of... What you thought I said something else? He was. I told you he was DJing and raving. He's been so busy doing that. He's out of practice to have a good old uh, bish bosh uh, bish bosh argument. Oh dearie me! <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment. Oh dear. That's all right. We move on. We move on to congratulate Cameron Carter Vickers for surviving a late bid from Newcastle Steve Bruce and getting across the line and joining Celtic on loan uh, with an option to buy on transfer deadline day. Uh, we wish him the very best for the season and hope that before his deal becomes permanent next season, he can still feature in the pre-seasons for us, right? <laughs> I mean, a few words on CCV. I mean, he's our pre-season specialist, isn't he? Every, every year he comes back and you know, make sure that we've got 11 names on the team sheet to play all those pre season games and then get shipped off pretty quickly um, I mean he's a bit like one of those Chelsea players the Chelsea, the players mm. that they hoard and keep for about 10 years and you know one once upon in, in some point in the future Cameron Carter Vickers <laughs> age 35 will play his pre-season game against Milton Keynes before being shunted off on loan again to I don't know big difference there is Chelsea managed to flog those players for 30 million quid and um, you yeah, fi- finance <laughs> yes. their summer business off the back of it I think um, we'll be lucky to get three for CCV well won't we but um, evidently Every time we've been punting him out on loan, we've been quietly giving him an extension. So he's, he, I, I thought his contract was up next summer, but evidently that's not the case. He's still got a few years to run. Um, so that's why we've managed to do the loan with an option to buy. Yeah, I mean, if he was there for a year and then his contract run out, they would, wouldn't even need no. to pay a fee, would they? They could just sign no. him. So, yeah. I mean, to be fair to him, he always does well on loan. He's, he's always received, or in the last couple of years, he's received glowing reports from mm. the clubs in the championship that he's been to, which I suspect is probably his, his level. Yeah. And so now he's he's up in up in Scottish Premiership which you'd imagine is fairly akin to the Championship mm-hmm. and he'll be defending in front of Joe Hart as well make of that <laughs> what you will <laughs> <laughs> that's a pay-per-view joy waiting to happen isn't it <laughs> I suppose we were just hoping he'd have one good year loan somewhere that would then you know, we'd get five to yeah. a million for him from someone. A good season in the championship as a centre half, usually, mm. you know, it's worth something. And we uh, tried and tried with Serge Aurier and, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't get anyone 
to agree with his agent, apparently, uh, on on getting him out of the club. So at the 11th hour, as we understand it, his contract was terminated by mutual agreement, um, uh, you know, literally on, on, on the, you know, the final hours of the deadline day. You know, there are rumours that he may join that lot down the road, but I've got to be honest, I just think that that feels like mischief-making, uh, given the amount of reckless right-backs they already have plying their trade down at the Death Star. But well, I suppose it wouldn't be such a bad thing, would it, actually, if you think about it? But, I mean, seriously, let's... let's, let's uh, what, are we happy to see this precedent set. It's the first time that Daniel Levy's actually, as far as I can remember, agreed to, to do something like this. I think it's probably a sign that um, Levy isn't that close to these decisions now and that um, mm. Paratici is um, is the person pulling the strings and it's, it's him managing the squad. I can only yep. assume that he knew absolutely nothing about it until it was too late to do anything about it. The episode of there's a scene in 40 Towers when they're trying to distract Sybil from seeing something that Basil and Manuel were up to. I can only imagine the same thing happened, <laughs> happened there and he sort of had no idea whatsoever. And yeah, I mean, wouldn't it just be comedy gold if he ended up joining joining Arsenal as well? The... Um, I'd say that. I mean, it's, it's been pretty clear that Serge has wanted to go. So he's, you know, it's either last season, this season, it was all going to come about at some point. But if you were strictly like, you know, if they were up against the wall in the school playground and there was um, Doherty and Aurier there, and it was just for footballing reasons, it'd be Aurier mm-hmm. that I'd pick that I'd want to stay. But, you know, if the player doesn't want to stay, that's another, you know, it's another we're thing. We're meant so. to have told him in the summer that he wasn't going to kick a ball for us again. So um, I think we made it pretty clear that we wanted him gone. I think, um, I mean, this is purely um, guesswork on my behalf, but there, there were a couple of clubs who came in for him and he turned his nose up at those moves. And I, I can't help thinking that his agents might have been paying for, uh, playing for the payoff and higher wages, joining someone on a free yeah. um, all summer. Yeah, if they if they knew the vibe was strong enough that they, they wanted Aurier out, of, you know, to go to get out of the club, then as you say, they've hedged their bets to think that if we just take this to the wire, um, yeah, what will happen? What did happen will happen. Yeah. You know, the contract will be cancelled. And so uh, Levy's involvement in in these decisions, if you compare and contrast with what happened to Danny Rose last year, which is you know a very similar situation. You know, I think I think actually this is this yeah. is prefer- preferable, isn't it? Paying up the contract and getting him out now rather than having someone kicking around training the under 16s or whatever you know whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, joking aside, the, the, the parallels between Danny Rose, are, you know, you're absolutely spot on to to pick up on those. They obviously felt with Danny Rose that they committed, they knew they were going to be paying his salary for a whole year and he wasn't going to be, mm. there was going to be no payback from that in terms of any first team. But they obviously worked out with Danny Rose that he'd be a really good influence or potentially would be a really good influence with the younger players and the perhaps didn't feel that would be the case with, with mm. Sir Jory. So once you've committed to the fact that we can't get rid of him, so we're going to be paying him for the next 12 months one way or the other, if we just pay him all up now, then it's then, it, then it's done. Look, at the risk of cutting into later uh, comments in this pod, I We'll just say two things. Uh, you know, number one, Serge is possibly not my choice for mentorship. Um, it doesn't strike me as the mentor type. I say that with a, a degree of reserve and respect, but I think we'd all agree that that seems to be the case. But what I would say is that if you'd ever wanted someone to show the rest of the club how to uh, increase the muscle mass of their thighs, I can I can categorically tell you, having been at pitch side at Tranmere away in the cup, two seasons ago with my with my daughter i've never seen a set of human thighs bigger on a man of that of his proportions my bigger than word, no pamero they were massive and i couldn't bigger than What's no pamero 
Bigger than Pamrot. Yes, for, in my opinion, although I was never quite as close to Noah Pamrot's thighs as I was to Serge Aurier's, and you can make of that what you will. <laughs> but what I will tell you is I couldn't stop staring at them in the warm-up, and it sort of felt a bit odd. And I start, I took a few pictures and like was <laughs> zooming the picture in. I'm like, are they really that big? And then I'm like, there's something not – what am I doing? It's like – but they were magnetic. So I do think maybe the club have missed the trick there. They could have kept him around for, you know, to, to increase – Learn how to increase muscle mass, but in fairness, it's probably best he's on his way. Didn't he score twice in that game, Steph? I think he did, with those massive thighs, the, I the may point out. The confidence boost of a bloke taking pictures of his thighs in the warm-up was obviously all he needed. That was... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Janil Bennett has joined League One side crew Alexander on loan until January. Janil scored the first ever goal at the new White Hart Lane and is a bright prospect. So we're excited to see how he does at crew. And let's just announce that Nuno has been quite appropriately nominated for the manager of the month for August. And <laughs> Eric Dyer, you take a large and hearty bow because you, my son, are up for player of the month. Both are richly deserved and it is nice to see their hard work getting recognition. Chaps, let's have some words of praise for those two gentlemen. Oh, yeah, excellent. They've had excellent months. What, what I would say is that these are both public votes. So if they're not already closed, get on there and vote on the Premier League you site. And uh, yeah, vote, vote early, vote often. I like that. I like yeah, that. Nuno, chuff for Nuno because what a start. Uh, it's really helped just kind of keep any kind of negativity away. Uh, we're all kind of looking at things through quite a healthy, happy lens. And fair play to Dyer as well. I mean, obviously Sanchez mm. could have been equally been equally good. I mean, you can't lie with the statistics, can you? If you win your three games of the season, three games in the month, and you're the only manager to do it, there's a very good chance you're going to be at least nominated for the award. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he if he won it. Because quite frankly, I don't know who 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 else would do. Dyer as well. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for any defender, I think, to get recognised in those monthly awards. Mm. Um, so so fair play to him. I've, you know, I've not seen the sort of detailed in game data or stats that, that surround his performances but from you know from, from my eye having watched it he's been a you know it's been a real rock at the back of our defense just look i'm going to take a second I, I i love eric dyer and i know eric dyer loves me and i i, I really do but I, I i just he just looks like a skipper again and i always thought he was going to be a skipper for us i really felt that and i just hope it continues i really do i hope that he continues to to actually get even better and and and, and find even more form you know i i feel there's more to come uh from him actually and i'm just delighted to see his renaissance because he is a picture of courage to me he has put up with so much bullshit from you know the the lack of knowledge crowd in our side i mean this is a guy who's been picked consistently by all the managers he's played for you know very different men in uh, you know very differing philosophies but they've all had one philosophy which is they want eric dyer in and around their squads so that will tell you a lot and let it be a lesson to people who criticize uh that you don't know everything that goes on you taken any photos of his thighs steph <laughs> no i haven't his thighs don't leap out i mean he's just but he is physically i mean if we're going to look at his physique he's always had that mm. sort of like he looks like a giant terminator just striding through he's a bit of a robocop you know what he reminds me of robocop you've, you've got a bit wrong manager this week steph <laughs> <laughs> brilliant i love it mm, isn't it mm. <laughs> Big thighs, mm. isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Love it. Eric Thire. Yeah, Eric Thire. Yeah. yeah, very good. Eric Thire. <laughs> uh, you know, Milo's going to be thinking about Serge Aurier's thighs for the rest of the I'm night not. now because I'm I can tell. I'm just he, he's already, already thinking about how much he can cut out of this as well, I should think. 
<laughs> oh, I think he's thinking about how many other players' thighs he could bring into it. I don't know. You know, the thigh's the limit, in my opinion. <laughs> but there we go. Dennis Serkin is the most impressive thighs we've let go this summer. Yeah. Oh, they're come huge. on. No, He's no, got for, the thighs of a no, they're huge. Are yeah, they? huge. Yeah. Are they really? Yeah. For, for, are they yeah, really? For, considering he's, what, 20 years old? Massive. Absolutely massive. No. Is that... Is right. that so, so, Googling. So to, are you Googling? Can I hear you Googling well, there in the background? I will be Googling. No, I will be Googling. <laughs> but two things I want to point out. Number one, I had no idea. And I will be stopping off, stopping off at the Stadium of Light on your... Uh, <laughs> trip over here next month won't you Steph just to <laughs> get a camera in hand yeah 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 for your for your big thigh scrap <laughs> yeah, but number two but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but number two, number two, the old big thigh scrapbook nominator. You yourself have obviously been having a cheeky peek uh, as well, They're massive. because you noticed Dennis Serkin's massive. <laughs> oh my I, god! The week that was, and we've ended up with Dennis Serkin's massive and hitherto unknown thighs. Well, there we are. <laughs> All right, all right. Let this let let's get us out of this madness by saying that we announced our first training kit sponsor on Friday, Gatier, who are repu- reputedly the fastest grocery delivery company around. Let me just say this again, in case Gatier would like to sponsor the game is about glory. Gatier, the fastest grocery delivery company around. Here's hoping the partnership delivers a great pile of Wonga, so as Fabio Paratici can keep. Delivering tasty new talent at Tottenham in the January transfer window. I mean, I, I look. I would bring you in to talk about that, but nobody needs to comment on a on, on a kit. There was a fire at the stadium last Thursday. The press got a bit excited about this and went full backdraft on the story. But the club issued a statement later saying that it was a small fire in one of the many kitchens. It was put out very quickly with a fire extinguisher. Yes, fancy that fire extinguisher to put out a small fire. And we can also confirm that Daniel has been told not to keep on trying to save money by heating his own pot pies in the stadium kitchens Uh, you know we were going to get right into it eventually but we were actually at the point right now that we were going to get into it but we all tuned in about what an hour Mm. and a half ago i think it was now to argentina v brazil or i should say brazil v argentina because the game was taking place in in brazil you know madness we're watching this game uh and and suddenly Brazilian public health officials have walked on the pitch after, I believe, seven or eight minutes uh, and have taken issue with uh, Lo Celso and Romero playing for Argentina because they were based in England and have been in England for the preceding, you know, at some point, the preceding 14 days, because let's face it, they play for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. You know, that would not take a detective to figure out, but they waited until the seventh, eighth minute of a football match to determine that this was against Brazilian COVID rules and decided this was the moment to drop the hammer and demand that they be taken off. Uh, you know, look, there's so much going on and so much will come out. We're just, we're not altogether sure. Um, but I mean, I, I think one thing that we should say here, chaps, is, look, it's one thing to have a set of protocol rules for, for COVID. That's, that's fine and dandy. But it's another thing to use uh, what appears to be political agendas to activate that rule at your discretion. Uh, I mean, the players were in Brazil for mm. a couple of days prior, That's if right. I'm not incorrect. Yeah. So they had plenty of chances to activate this sort of DEFCON measure. And they chose, you know, they chose a, a televised event to do it. It can only be political, right? I mean, are we right in saying this? It looks that way, doesn't it? And um, given the regime in Brazil at the moment, I think that's a reasonable assumption that um, a grandstanding of this nature is um, wouldn't be out of keeping with them. They haven't got the best record in COVID so far. Um, so 
trying to distract from that and then also kind of the rivalry with Argentina and losing the Copa America final to them um, a few weeks ago. Kind of all, it, it, it looks like that, doesn't it? It does seem very bizarre. Gareth, what do you think? Utterly farcical, isn't it? There's a genuine lack of leadership, I think, from both FIFA and CONMEBOL mm-hmm. in the first instance to, to have allowed this situation to get there. Then you think then there, there are political forces at work as well with the Brazilian government. Um, and I suspect both the Argentinian Football Association and the Brazilian counterparts haven't covered themselves in glory either. But when you put all that into the mix, yeah, yep. you, you end up with a, with, a, with a farcical situation. I mean, fortunately, it looked like the players took it in fairly in fairly good spirits and it was a fairly light-hearted um Sort of moment between them when particularly when Messi came out and was and was speaking to some of the, his um, his Brazilian players his teammates with as well I think probably the other thing we should say is that actually the Copa America that was held this summer was an additional one that they'd fitted in when they could have been using that time to catch up on um, on the World Cup qualifiers that they were behind on yeah they took the money route on that one basically I think when Argentina couldn't hold it they then looked around for another place to hold it and one of the solutions was to just let's not do this because they had one in 2019 mm. and the only reason they were having this one is because they were changing the copper to an even year so they thought oh let's have one in 2020 as well which obviously they couldn't do because of covid so they moved it to 2021 so it was as as milo said it's an extra one they could have abandoned that and they even talked about uh, doing all this batch of qualifiers instead of doing mm. the copper and they'd have been through all qualifiers by now and that would have been the much more sensible thing to do but um uh, money and everything won out in the end and they carried on and held the copper as they did like earlier in the summer. Mm. I mean, this is no light thing. I mean, apparently they are officially trying to deport these players. As long as, as, long as that's to England and not Argentina, I don't, you know, London, not Buenos Aires, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Straight yeah, no. Well, but that's, but that's the, that was very much the question is that they probably will be now just going straight to Argentina. I mean, these players are being thrown from pillar to post. They were, they were scrambled in the outset you know, by are they, aren't they going? Doubtless their countries have lent on them very heavily to say you are going, you know, and in that sense, the player is left in a very difficult situation. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're looking for guidance. I mean, again, we must remember these are young men. So my understanding is that the Argentinian FA were um, leaning on the players and telling them that um, their place at the World Cup next year was in, you know, in question if they didn't, uh, didn't play for them in the qualifiers and um, yeah, you know, future selection. So I, I feel for the players, they've been put in a very difficult situation. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the pawns in this, aren't they? Yeah. They are. And it's not, and, and let's just make sure that people remember it's not just this bit at the start where they were told to go and play. An agreement was in place for them not to play the third game, which apparently is against Bolivia. Uh, and now, uh, well, now I say, even before this game fast today, the Argentinian FA was saying, well, actually, no, I don't know what that agreement was. It, it was the Argentinian manager, Lionel um, Scalani, who was saying that they would be play- they were there for all three games. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's I think there's something very dark going on here with regards to how these players are going to return to us, especially as they're going to have to go through the whole thing again. You know, uh, as uh, it just seems we're going to lose them for half the season. It surprised me as well that someone even at our club didn't say, "Well, you're coming from the UK, going to Brazil, even via Venezuela, uh, you're not going to be able to do that. It's against the rule. It's against Brazil's rules." And even, I mean, obviously you'd then expect someone from Argentina set up to say, look, we're going to have a real trouble getting the British-based players to these games because of the rules. So whether something was sorted out beforehand uh, between Argentina mm-hmm. and Brazil that then has been reneged on, i.e. there were some exemptions for those Brazilian, uh, for those Argentinian players, I don't know. But I think, as we said before, Brazil have purposely not 
they've not brought in any people from the Premier League, mm. as in any players. So mm. um, they've they've kind of played by their own rules. So I'm not quite sure how they've kind of how it's ended up being in this situation in the first place. If you see what I mean. I start kind of thinking if Brazil were playing, I don't know, Venezuela or they were playing Ecuador tonight, would the same things have mm. happened had British place players mm. been playing for, for for the opposition? It seems I don't know, not convenient, but the fact they're playing Argentina, which is their biggest game, yeah, as well. There's, there's more at stake here than a football match. It does feel that they are trying to make a point with regards to their COVID protocols in the in the you know the basket of the world spotlight, saying, "See, we oh. take this stuff seriously." Except someone somewhere has messed up and re- you know not calculated that everyone can see. If they were that serious about protocols, they would not have let the players in the mm. country in the first place because they 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 would have had to show their I mean they would have had to show their passport to come into the country. Or they would so, have done it in the last two days. Yeah. Yes, the fact quite. is is that these players have been with the Argentinian squad for the last week, presumably. They've all been on an aeroplane together um, from Venezuela. Um, you know, if they've been together, so our players flew out after the match last Sunday. They've been been together for a week. If any of those have COVID, then the Argentinian squad have COVID. You know, they've been on an aeroplane together, so there's nothing safe safe about that. And as we were saying. Uh, after the match was abandoned we saw Argentinian and Brazilian players swapping shirts so it's not really we're not really in a bubble situation here (laughs) no No, there's no I mean it's as you quite rightly say it's a bubble that was burst a long time ago Uh, and I I, I just just to wrap up um, and to sort of speculatively respond to what you were saying there Ricky about the Argentinian Football Association I think that they're as much guilty of chicanery as the Brazilian authorities because they've obviously decided to, to play you know far and loose with the rules that that, that and, are unless place. there was an agreement and it's been reneged on. I mean, I think that, that you know there, there must have been thought given to this. Sure. I think one thing actually. So I'm not going to make a habit of um, defending the Brazilian government, but in terms of their COVID restrictions, it's not really any different to we're seeing in England at the moment or you know Britain at the moment. With you know these players returning here would have to quarantine for ten days if they return to the UK. So it's, it's not not that different. Um, what appears to be the problem here is you know how it's been handled by the Brazilian government, not doing it in the last couple of days, leaving it until the match was underway, um, and also. So kind of that uncertainty as to, as to who is eligible to play because they must have thought about that in the in the weeks and months gone. Should we just put it all under the head in the that South American football for you, basically? Anyway, yes, what a farce. I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, we've heard nothing about Davinson Sanchez in Colombia. Let's hope that goes smoothly. Look, there are South American World Cup qualifiers in October and November. Something has to give. Um, and 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 let's just hope that from this absolute farce tonight some common sense solution can be found to a problem that is not going to go away not in this world not in this current environment and that gentlemen is how we have now finally ended up at the transfer window (laughs) a round of applause to us all for getting there (laughs) nobody can say we don't have a laugh with these things I'm telling you, listeners will be like harumphing and crying. Wow, this thigh talk! But I guarantee you, if at least half of our listenership and one member of this panel, as soon as this is over, is going to be looking up a full body photo of Demi Serkin. I swear to God, I swear it's going to happen. You have to think about the Google Google, um, search words for this because there must be a big audience for thigh fetishists out there and um, and, and just help out a growing audience. I don't know whether this will be a regular feature, Steph, but, um, you know... I'll take any listeners. Oh dear! Oh my <laughs> word! I, 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 from hair to thigh, yeah, and and the transfer window. Okay, 
We're at the transfer window. Let's look through the only window that counted this past summer, which was the transfer window. And uh, yeah, let's start with the cleaning we managed to get done. Obviously, we've covered a lot of this, you know, with the week that just was, because there was so much that happened in that last week. Got a couple of outgoings. Um, but <clears throat> let's just go through a comprehensive list here. We said goodbye to Musa Sissoko, age 32. He joined Watford for £3.15 million. Uh, He spent five years with us. I am going to just, if you don't mind, lead off with a memory of Musa, which is how much I loved singing uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. Who needs bail when you've got Sissoko? And there was that great moment where they were both in the same side. Uh, but, you know, my abiding memory will be at the kickoff in Madrid in the Champions League final every Every supporter singing his name super loudly, myself included, absolutely belting it out with all my heart and with genuine belief and appreciation for a man who I think fought his way through a hell of a lot of adversity early doors and a hell of a lot of, uh, Mm. you know, those internet critic morons uh, to get to where he was. So we won't get into what happened a minute after that. But um, guys... An appreciation of Musa Sissoko, I think, is well in order here. He's a cult hero in a in an age when you don't get a lot of cult heroes at clubs. I think um, uh, he had to, you know, tough start start to his time at Spurs, and you know, realistically, he was a you know he was a key part of that team that took us to the Champions League final. Yeah, I think it probably didn't end as well. You know, the second half of last season wasn't great for him. You know, tough start, but um, you know, a really really. Um, yeah, important player at his peak for us. And I think the other thing we've got to remember with um, Sissoko is that, you know, when he joined us, um, people thought that, you know, he, his reputation was that he was a bit flaky and only turned up to the big games. And, you know, it, it ended up being the complete opposite. And, you know, we, we thought we were signing a kind of wide midfielder, you know, a quick, a quick wide midfielder who took on players, you know, didn't uh, only turned up to the big games. He turned out, you know, it was best for us as a, you know, central midfielder who, you know, useful at carrying the ball and uh, always gave his all. You know, we could never, we could never criticize his commitment or criticize um um the you know, the amount of effort he put in and um you know i think he's one of those players where you wish that that everyone tried as hard as he did yeah yeah you, you took the words out of my mouth Milo. i think that's exactly it. When, we, when we signed him from newcastle we thought we were getting a player who was technically very good and had a high ceiling and high level of ability but actually couldn't really be asked most of the time and i think what we got was the complete mm. opposite of that um but what you know what a turnaround within his career he he was he, he was average just doing mm-hmm. the favour and say he was average for the first two seasons but yeah he really turned it around particularly with that Champions League season in mind and he spent the last 18 months babysitting our troubled right back position he, yeah. he almost put him in the team because he could hold his own in the centre of midfield and also he did, did a really really important yeah. job of, of covering what was a, a real hole for us uh, on the right hand side of defence yeah I echo that I mean he had a ter- it really was a terrible start he had with us and I mean you have to some of that you have to giving nothing but credit for mental strength to come through that. Mm. Most other players, loads of other players would wither and fade away and they'd end up in some other kind of league. But he stuck with us, pulled through that and became, and ironically became a consistent performer. He's like power and his strength was, that's the other thing with him. He's, he's got older, but doesn't look any 
doesn't look any less fitter as he's gone along. And he's managed to sort of, you know, he's not accumulated injuries or nothing. And he was someone that we could really, really rely on. I'm so glad because I think, obviously, what we saw in the um, all or nothing um, thing, that he's massively popular mm-hmm. in the dressing room as well. So I'm glad that it all came together for him. And even from a fan's point of view, we could all wish him well. We were, Well, that's what I mean. we wish him well at Watford. Yeah, and I, look, you, you actually just took out uh, took the words out of my mouth there with the, the fact that he was such a popular member of the squad which tells you how respected he was for working through what was a nightmare first season where he ended up playing in every position but the one that he actually was probably the most adept at playing and it took the fans a good year and a half to figure out that he was signed uh, you know he wasn't signed for the position that we thought he was playing in he was actually another type of player we really hope the, the very very best for him and it was it was actually heartwarming mm-hmm. to see that our supporters gave him the round of applause that he heart deserved um, uh, when Watford played us a couple of weeks ago so Good luck, Musa. He's a good signing for Watford. He'll do well for them. He's a good signing, yeah. Be a great signing for, uh, yeah, for Watford. For many clubs, still a, has got a lot to give. I think there's no doubt. Um, so uh, good on you, Musa, and we'll be keeping an eye on uh, how the season works out for you, um, uh, my friend. Another good friend of ours, uh, an original member of the Magnificent Seven, Eric Lamella, who has uh, enjoyed his own segment of the game is about glory. Actually, if I if I remember correctly, age 29, he joined a Sevilla as part of the Brian Hill deal. Uh, He spent eight years with us. And, you know, once again, another player who, despite, you know, really, I think, um, personally for him, torturous injury record at times, you know, talk about a player who wore his heart next to the badge. uh, He really did. I mean, he really did love Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And whenever I think of Eric, I think of that. Obviously, I think of a couple of cheeky Rabonas. Um, but, you know, let's face it, we always think of the Battle mm. of the Bridge as well, don't we? So uh... It was really nice. He's, he's, he's talking about us a lot on social media still. So when um, Larice got his um, shirt from the squad for his 300th appearance, Lamella had said that he wished he was there so he could still sign it, which I thought was really nice. The, the one that really surprised me that I saw this week is out of all these players who've left, he's the one who's had the most appearances for us. Which, for all of it, you know, the talk about his injury record and everything else, uh, really surprised me. No, I've got tremendous affection for him and, and we'll have great memories of Eric Lamella. A bit like Sissoko, I think the the problem for him was that the player we we thought mm. we were signing wasn't actually the player that we became. So we thought we were going to have this this really cute number number 10 um, who was going to jink in and score sort of 20, 25 goals a year, um, replace perhaps the goals that, that Bale had taken with him. And he wasn't that at, at, at all. He became a very nuanced, um, really important player to play in the high pressing system that we had mm. in midfield but um yeah i mean the, the the battle of the bridge probably is the memory that we'll all take of him and the no look stamp on on fabregas and i i think the other thing with Miller as well was and this is often used as a criticism against him but he'd always start the season on fire and we've discussed in previous pods how sometimes harry kane takes four or five weeks to get into his, his stride so having Lamella there who would get your goals and would get get your points in august and the start of september you know contributes to that overall points tally that you that, that, that you get at the end so you're of not it. surprised by his three goals in two games start for Sevilla. No, that's only we'll probably no. contribute a lot in the next two or three weeks as well. 
your point on kind of what we got with him I think it was Football 365 who had a piece on him a few years ago where they said that some Spurs fans had never got over the fact they thought they were signing a tricky winger with a bit of an Argentinian shithouse in them only to discover they signed an Argentinian shithouse with a bit of tricky winger in them and um, (laughs) I think that's right Yeah, going. I mean, going back to what Gareth just said there. Then, if he was good in August, maybe we should have um, just actually sold him on August the thirty first, and not like earlier in the window, because we'd have got a few games out of him. Um, now, Eric was everything you could want, really, for a, for someone. If you want someone to pull in the in the direction, if you want everyone to pull in the same direction, he's every time he went on the pitch, he was he gave everything, good or bad. I don't mean good as in I don't mean bad as in bad play. I mean bad as in bad behaviour. Um, and I'm glad he's gone to Seville because I've always quite liked Seville as a club, and I think he'll do really well there, which. He's obviously started off well, and yeah, just it was so hard for a footballer to have a fragmented career when you've just got the injuries going on all the time, especially if you're not getting necessarily correct diagnosis or it gets misdiagnosed. And I think that really put a, a spanner in his early days of um, trying to progress with us. And maybe I think maybe some of his game maybe developed yeah, the way it did because right. of that, rather than you know at Roma he yeah. was definitely a different different kind of player and if he had a smooth path for two or three seasons when he joined us it might have been a bit they different they thought he was going to be the successor to Totti didn't they at Roma I'd like to also pay personal tribute to the many uh, wonderful hairstyles that Eric Lamella has sported during his Tottenham career I thought you were going to tell us about his thighs then Steph there were some fantastic photos of him on the severe training pitch this week with his shorts pulled up and um, massive muscly thighs there Steph so uh, again again <laughs> let me just point out who's been who's really right next to me looking at these you're right there mate you're right there i'm saying nothing other than i will also be googling that later I, I i'm an eric lamella fetishist and I've, and I've been open about this from the very start of this pod i'm not a fetishist <laughs> The final observation I want to make about Eric is, is, is somewhat somewhat light-hearted, but I'll never forget the first time I actually heard him speak. He has a very high-pitched voice, and when you reconcile that with the absolute shithouse he is, it's quite comical, actually, because you yeah. just, you know, you always expect shithouse football to be like, you know, and, and Eric was always like, like, I mean, you know, you can octave that out as you wish. Toby Alderweireld, uh, at the age of 32, finally did get a move away from the club. I think it's been on the cards for a couple of years. He moved to Al Duhai SC uh, in the Emirates. The fee was £11.7 million, which I think mm. is actually some pretty good business. We got six years out of Toby. Uh, he did have some injury issues in that time. Um, obviously, an ex- you know, his... his Class and calibre spoke for itself for several years. I personally feel mm-hmm. he started to go off the boil for the last couple. Frankly, I think it's probably a year too late in terms of when we'd like to have moved him on. Having said that, he did put a shift in last season and he worked really hard and he was, uh, you know, an important an important member of things. But it's the right mm-hmm. move, right? Mm-hmm. We all agree with that. Yeah. But we do still thank him for being a part of probably one of the best central defensive partnerships in the Premiership uh, in recent years with Jan Vertonghen, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And then Danny Rose, who, you know, we'll just let's just give the facts here because Danny has quite rightly been the recipient of a The Game Is About Glory special episode. At age 31, he finally uh, was able to join Watford. Uh, he was released uh, he spent 14 years with us, and quite frankly, if you want to see, even if you want to hear what the game is about, Glory thinks about Danny Rose, you'd be well advised to look through the archive and listen back to our uh, special on Danny Rose and his career and time at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. 
Juan Foyth, age 23, joined Villarreal. 13.5 million. I think this is excellent business again. Three years. Never quite got out of the starting blocks for us, possibly because of the managerial change. But lads, good business, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think I've said this before. I think he was mismanaged by us. I think he's a good player. And I think actually, apart from the fact that they, their preferred side is on the same side of defense, him and him and um, uh, Romero together would be, would complement each other quite well, I think. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a shame. But, you know, he had a great season last year. And, you know, I think it's the right move for him. Yeah, no right move for him. I, I, I think he might be the one in a few years' time that we'll look back on and he'll be the one that got away. Mm. But um, that's through through bad mismanagement of him, as Milo said. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree there's definitely a good player in there. But given the stage of his career he was at versus where he was with us, uh, I still think it's 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 good mm. money and it was prob- and it was the right thing to do. Paolo Gazaniga at the age of 29 I didn't know he was 29 actually he always he looks like one of those eternal 25 year olds doesn't he but uh, anyway he was released and has since joined Fulham uh, spent four years with us I think uh, definitely for me mm-hmm. a highlights keeper um, you know so a brilliant highlights reel I think if you were to get into it with a perhaps a more studious eye you would start to see the foibles um, would we say that's a fair comment yeah I think he was a good backup goalkeeper I, th- I think unlike some other backup goalkeepers you can he'd come in and he'd be pretty good straight away but then once you got into the third or fourth game that's when you'd see those flaws come to the surface a little bit more yeah he's, he's slow to get down to shots He's starting for Fulham now, isn't he? I think he's played all their games. So we'll see how he goes at Fulham. No, but but we have a fondness for him because again, he was one of those. He's one of those guys who you always seen. He had a good yeah. vibe, good energy, and generally yeah. seemed to be a good egg, as I suppose yeah. you the phrase goes, a good egg. Uh, which somehow brings us to Joe Hart, who, as I understand, was signed for his overall vibe and to bring a bit of character or something to the squad. Um, but he came and he went, and he wasn't very good. Uh, age thirty four. He was with us for a year. He joined Celtic and we got a million, uh, well, 1.08 million. I'll I'll count the 08 because any penny that we got for him, I think he's fantastic business. So um, sadly, I don't really have much to say about Joe Hart other than I'm I'm glad he's not with us anymore. Yeah, it's just a Mourinho signing, isn't it? Peak year period players or older players with lots of character. It's what he likes. Yeah. And uh, and no, I mean that's that's all there is to yeah. say, right? I mean we can move on. Yeah, I think so. Great. Uh, Bale and Vinicius left at the end of their loans, um, which you know I think it's very unfortunate with Gareth. Actually, I really do. I think that uh, you know with a different uh, with a different manager, I think he really might have found his feet a little quicker. I think he needed. Uh, to be managed in a certain way that's that's my opinion um but he did come on strong at the end and he's he scored a fair few goals for us um and i see i see gareth gareth oh yeah i wanted to say he made that cryptic comment right at the end of last season about not being able to talk about his future because it would cause absolute chaos and the path that he's eventually followed if you follow it logically was the least chaotic mm. path he's gone back to his parent club where he's being used which so Ancelotti going on there obviously had a big made a big difference to what he was going to do and I guess we can only speculate didn't he score a hat-trick for Wales mm. today against Belarus by the way yeah he did, um, yeah, he did yeah but, yeah. but what, what do you think he was what do you think he was hinting at when he made that comment oh I think he just knew that Ancelotti was leaving this is obviously before Everton probably even knew and maybe Ancelotti had told him you know I'm going back to Real Madrid so you know, maybe that was sort of caused, you know, the blow up. In other words, he couldn't I'll say that, that on telly before Everton even knew that Angelotti was disappearing. So 
I'll buy that. I buy that. I think that's probably very accurate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think, again, I thought that he did uh, at the end of it. What, he scored 16 goals, 16, 17 goals? I mean, he, I mean, obviously, you'd say it was a bit of the flat track bully syndrome because a lot of those goals were against, you know, uh, opposition we would be expected to score a lot of goals against. Having said that, you still have to score them. <laughs> they still have to go in the back of the net. I you think know. a flat, flat track bully can be underrated yeah. sometimes. Sometimes you need someone like that. Yes. You know what I mean? I completely you know I mean? agree. And, I mean, frankly, I'd have been happy to have had him on the bench for another season to come on as an option. I don't know if he would have worked in a Nuno setup, uh, to, to be fair. This is pure fantasy football football uh you know man on a sofa speaking so it doesn't actually make binary sense but you know the fantasy football fan of me would have been fine seeing him come on for the last 20 minutes and bang a couple in against smaller opposition yeah i was just i'm kind of jumping ahead here i was gonna i was gonna talk about um the squad review episode we had uh at the end of last yeah. season and um probably one of the only bits we really disagreed with was where i was saying that i wouldn't take um bail back and um uh, Steph, uh, Ricky, and uh, and Ram uh, felt differently when we were recording that episode. Poch was looked like the favourite to come in, and uh, I, I and certainly kind of the Levy DNA comments uh, made it look like we were looking to play high pressing football. And I think my argument was that both Kane and him in the same side, yeah, you know, wouldn't be able to press and it wouldn't be effective. But actually, I think um, Nuno set up with the three high up the pitch. Um, he'd be quite well suited to because it's the you know we're, we're not pressing from the front at least uh, apart from maybe you know we did against City but uh, not generally we're not doing that and it's the midfield who are doing the uh, doing the pressing and uh, and shielding the defence uh, with the the front three three staying high up so I think if you put him on the on the right of that with some on the left and Kane in the middle I think it'd be very effective yeah you make a very good point actually which sort of poo-poos my thought that perhaps he wouldn't be set up for a Nuno for a Nuno system you're absolutely right when you think it through Logically, what you said uh, resonates very well. In a sense, he could almost have been the, a, a Triori-esque uh, option for us, you know? I mean, the other thing to add to that, and this is sort of jumping ahead to maybe what we're going to talk about in a minute, um, uh, you can't discount the mm. goals that he did bring. And even Vinny scored a few goals um, with the limited appearances he's had. Yes. And we have basically got to find those goals yeah. from somewhere else because it can't just be Kane and Son again that we rely on too much. So we're going to obviously... I mean, who do we look at? It's Bergwijn, Mora, mm. Delhi. They're probably people that can chip in. We will get into that. But I mean, I think we would both we would agree that both players probably did not quite get the due that they deserved for their seasons last season, especially when you put you know, place that against the amount of time they actually spent on the pitch for us in any consistent fashion. I'm not too bothered about Finney. I mean, I think he was all right. He, you know, we never used him in the Premier League, really. Right. I don't think he got three appearances in the Premier League. We preferred Son to, to him in the Premier League when Kane was out, which I think probably tells you where he was. I don't, you know, if, uh, if we play Scarlet with some, de- if we play Scarlet oh. with some decent players around him, I'm not convinced it's that huge a drop off. And it's better for our long term, our long term options. Honourable mentions must go to the following. Okadena, Dennis Serkin's massive thighs, Ioma, Marsh, Rolls, Sterling, Tracy, Skinner, Asante, Ferguson, Cooper, Richards, Whitaker, Carrington, and... I did have drum roll for the incomings, but we haven't even really said drum roll for the outgoings. Thank you very much for your contribution, lads. Good luck in your careers. Um, and, and, and let's hope that the promise that you did show with us uh, gets fulfilled at your future clubs. Let's now have that drum roll. Incomings! Christian Romero, age 23, 
loan with an option. Brian Hill, aged 20, at 22.5 million. Pierre Luigi Gallini, aged 26, loan with an obligation to buy if he makes a set number of appearances and puts his coat on the lower peg after PE because he had mathematics in the morning. Papa Matassar, 18, 15.21 million, loaned back to Mets. And Emerson Royal, Royale. or Royale, if you're Milo, <laughs> aged 22, at the price of 22.5 million. Guys, let's go down this list one by one. <laughs> we'll start again with Christian Romero. Uh, Gareth, I'm going to start with you. Well, look, he, he voted the best defender in Serie A last season. That's not an accolade that comes lightly. He's, uh, I, I know we're talking about them individually, but I think collectively looking at the, the ages of the, of the players and what's that, what that does for the average age of the squad overall is a really important thing to do. I'm excited to see more of Romero based on what we've seen of him fleetingly in the in the Europa Conference League so far. I think, well, who knows what's going to happen with all the farce in South America at the moment, but it may be that we don't get a proper look at him to see him play three or four games in the Premier League consecutively, maybe until after Christmas. But I think in the long run, it's a, it's a really exciting signing and we should be very pleased that we've signed a player with such great potential in front of him Brian Hill Ricky Brian Hill is my new favourite player Um, the hair and everything the kind of really underage little kind of tash that he can barely grow Uh, but no uh, what I've seen of him so far um, he's going to be a lot of fun he's got so much potential he's got great control he's got an eye for a pass an eye for a run as well off the ball and um, he's got a touch and when he was playing that more central road against Patos Mm. he was definitely he had almost a little bit of a moderate about him the way he moves he's got that long kind of bouncy hair and that kind of thing um yeah, we, we we probably, hopefully we've lucked into another one of the um, up-and-coming European starlets. I mean, they do seem to, um, in, from the Spanish under-21 team, there does seem to be quite a regular flow from there. Yeah, all good. I think he'll get, I think he'll get minutes as well. Yeah, I think because well. we're not, we're not stacked. We're not stacked squad-wise, so, um, which we'll get to in, uh, in a bit. But yeah, I think he'll get minutes. Yeah, he's exciting, isn't he? He is exciting. He's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? I mean, sometimes you see a bit of Stan Bowles or, or that kind of like sort of Jinkmeister. And then another time, as you say, you see a bit of the Lucas about him. Uh, he's got a shimmy. He's got a turn. He looks like he's got a shot. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he, he's the quintessential Tottenham Hotspur player. I really wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being the breakout player, the breakthrough player this season. And by the end of the yeah. season, he's a start. He's a guaranteed starter, and we've had to change the way we set up in order to accommodate him because his yeah. impact is. Yeah, because he's also tough. He looks like he wants it. Yeah. I mean, he is not prepared. He doesn't look like a player who's particularly interested in developing more than just getting in there and getting stuck in. And he's not soft either no. at all. He can no. take. He can take a challenge. It's great. Uh, Pierluigi Gallini, Milo. Yeah, he looks all right, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's a better backup keeper than the last couple we were discussing earlier on. So yeah, I think he's um, quite secure. I, I thought the uh, goal that um, Passos scored against us, I thought he was soft on that. He, he showed them a gap and they took it. Uh, it. I thought that was pretty poor. But yeah, he looks fine. He's a backup. He's got a nice vibe about him, though. He's got a bit of like confidence and hubris, but not too arrogant. No, no, no. He, he comes from mad goalkeeper central yes, casting, doesn't very he? very well put. 
Very well put. There's that. That's yeah. Mic drop on that one. Papa Matasar. Look, I will tell you, I know very little about him. I know that uh, last week uh, there was some good observations from uh, from Awesome about him. I don't know if anyone else has any to add to that. Um, Vieira esque was the phrase. Yeah, I I'd heard. say Toro. A touch of the Yaya Toro great. about him. Well, I mean, that would be great as long as we remember his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and Emerson. Royale. Well, we'll just say Emerson. That's okay. We'll just say Emerson. We don't need to go there again. We, yeah, we've covered him. <laughs> we have covered him. Uh, what we haven't covered is that uh, we have removed 39,480,000 British pounds sterling per year from our wage bill this summer. Um, the age profile of the squad, uh, you know, the average age of the outgoing players was, was 30. The average age of our signings was 22. Let's just talk about those figures for a moment. That 39 million is, or 39.5 million is um, the sal- the salaries of the outgoing players. It's, it's not that minus the salaries of the incoming players. So, yeah. But even so, that's that's a big chunk. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if all the incoming players together um, were earning more than Bale was yeah, combined. Definitely. Because usually, I think when they're younger and they come from Europe, because you have to remember they're coming from a league that don't always pay. I mean, the Premier League wages are just kind of massive compared to yeah. some of the foreign leagues. But and when they're young, quite easily they can be here on twenty five, thirty grand, and then they they get the bumps. Yeah. As soon as you know, as soon as Hill becomes the best player in the Premier League, he'll then get the bump. I mean, Romero's come in on a fairly big fee, I think. So, but yeah, no, look again. Yeah, oh no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, I doubt he's on more than um, yeah, Toby yeah. was on though. Tony's on about eighty. Yeah, seventy, eighty, something like that. But you think Sissoko was on? more than that yeah, exactly i think the other thing that we ought to say on this is that the players we've let go all of those weren't going to get any better you know for all the talk about those players being you know good players or good servants of the club none of those were going to get better all of these players have got the potential to get a lot better i think one thing further to add to this and i think this is absolutely vital for everyone to understand all spurs supporters you know we've talked about five signings here a lot of promise a lot of potential you know we avoided losing uh, the better part of 60 goals, I mean, give or take, a, you know, 10 or so, by getting Sonny to sign his new contract and, you know, by keeping by keeping Harry Kane. I mean, that you cannot underestimate the, the value of, of those deals. You cannot, or non-deals as the case may be. These are massive players. They are irreplaceable. I mean, Harry Kane is a completely irreplaceable player. You have to change the way you play if you are going to replace Harry Kane. And I think that those are two of the smartest bits of business that any club has done this summer. You have to flag that up. I mean, because I've read some people's assessments of the window and sometimes the Kane thing doesn't even really get mentioned. It's about, you know, who we've brought in and stuff like that. And it just makes you wonder what kind of situation we'd be in if he had gone. And it just gives you, I mean, even if he does go next year, it just gives a year to kind of smooth Mm. things along. And because the other thing I'm slightly worried about, I think we've kind of, I wouldn't say we've massively overshot the other way, but the average age of the squad now is actually really quite young. So we're going to, you know, we have to be careful with that. You know, It's not like we've brought any kind of ready-made players in necessarily. They're all kind of a bit unknown and going to reveal themselves, you know, over the coming months. I mean, you can see that with Kane, even when he played in that Watford game and he's just... He can just kind of marshal the game from wherever he is on the pitch, and that can be in various places now. And we can just, and you can just see that he's an old head, a world class player, and we don't want to hang everything on him. But it's good to have that rather than Sun trying to do that or a bad imitation. I'm not knocking Sun at all for what he does do. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just going to be a focal point. As long as fingers crossed, he stays fit. You know, we can still go places. Mm. I think. So we do want to compare the window against 
what we had wanted uh, in the squad review episode. And uh, I believe, hang on, my spidey senses are telling me that Milo has uh, a recap uh, ready uh, for that. So, Milo, I'm going to go on raw instinct here and trust that I'm saying the right yeah, thing. No, I, I had a spreadsheet that I was updating as we d- we did that squad review. So just just a quick recap. So it was done back in, in June. So just as, as the season had ended, uh, we were without a manager at that point. We were without a director of football at that point. I think one of the things we were saying there was that a director of football would, would have been a good idea. And at the time, Levy's uh, DNA was, uh, was was you know the hot topic. And we, and we thought that Poch was likely to be the next manager. So that was the context for a lot of the discussion. And particularly when we started talking about formation, we we did touch on maybe playing three in midfield, but we were assuming that it was a two-man midfield, and that kind of clouded some of what we were talking about with players coming and going. But that said, we said on that episode, Sell, Hart, Aurier, Foyth, Carter Vickers, Sissoko, Winks, and I think Winks was with the two-man midfield rather than a three-man midfield as part of the discussion, Lamella and Vinicius. So that was our... And uh, Rose and uh, and uh, Gasaniga had already been released at that point. So uh, of the ones we were saying sell, the only one that wasn't sold was Winks. And then we had to sell at the right price. And this was we were pretty pretty ruthless here. And um, so we had uh, Davis, Sessignon, Alderweireld, Sanchez, Dyer, Lacelso, Mora. So of those that sell at the right price, or uh, Alderweireld was the only one who who we got a right price for which i think is actually about right because those players in the sell at the right price price i always felt personally were, were very very good players that a that a good manager would be able to get a tune out of so i think we've got that one right <laughs> so I, I went through and back back through and listened although i had a spreadsheet of it i went back and listened to that episode again um late last week and putting something on record as to what you think at the end of a season and what you think you ought to do over the transfer window and then listening to it back to it after that window's closed, it focuses the mind a bit. And I I think we did a pretty good job considering how many unknowns there were at that point. Yeah, it was an interesting listen. Yeah, yeah. One question for everyone I have, you know, I think we've talked about Serge Aurier and, and, and look, Doherty, the Doherty situation is what it is. He's obviously going to be one of our right backs because Aurier's moved on. So it's sort of a, but yeah, there's no point asking the question because the answer is quite binary. But there is a question to be asked about Harry Winks and there is a question to be asked about Tongi and Dombele. And I'd really like to know what you all think of our inability to find a buyer for Harry Winks and how that impacts the squad, how that impacts him, whether it means he's going to become uh, a functional member of our squad or whether he's going to be drifting on the peripheries and we're going to try and move him on in January. And I suppose the same could be said for Tongi. You know, it, this is a very, very confusing situation because we have a player who's incredibly talented and who has a role in this system. But if he had only 30%, it appears, of Sissoko's like positive application, he could be that player. But will it happen? Ricky, why don't you? Yeah, I think um, I think maybe that's why Wink has, Winks has remained because Nuno wasn't sure what was going on with Tangai and he's probably not 100% sure what was going on with Lo Celso. I mean, obviously Lo Celso came back in and but now he's got the whole kind of South American issue going on. And I think all around the pitch, the one thing I'm slightly worried about is what I'm kind of um, what I'm kind of tagging is the next player in. If that person's injured, that person's injured, who's the next player in? And Winks seems to be the next player into midfield at the moment in the same way that Emerson would look to be the next player in at right back. And really, I'm only mega confident about left back and maybe goalkeeper, as in you know who the next player in is going to be. Because even up front, if Sonny or Kane get injured, who's the next player in and that kind of thing. And it just makes that feel a bit fragile. Because some of the things, like Skip, let's say, I mean, five months ago, Skip was 
we were thinking, shall we send him to Norwich again for a year? One month ago, we were thinking of sending Tanganga to Galatasaray for on a loan. We would think that might happen. And now their players are now, oh no, hold up, they'll be, they're a good part of the squad, we need them. But you still, it's still, it's still a small body of evidence that that's all going to work, you know what I mean? So I think it's just, I'm just a bit worried about unknowns and stuff that's got to reveal itself. I think that's fair. I think we could take a little comfort from the renaissance of Dyer and Sanchez and some decent coaching. I thought Winks had, in the second Passos game, I thought he played quite well at the base of midfield. And um, if we can get Winks to recover his form and his confidence from a few years ago, we've got a real player there. And and also one, even if we decide that he isn't in our long-term plans, he's a player that we can get a lot more money for next summer than we could have got this summer. So, you know, he's a decent player. He's homegrown. He's going to be attractive to quite a lot of Premier League clubs you've got to bear in mind that it's only a couple of summers ago that Man City was sniffing around him and I think even this summer there was talk of United Mm. being interested in him wasn't there and Everton so it's not you know we're not talking about a player here who uh, you know it's Watford or Fulham who are interested in it it's decent clubs who who are interested when his name comes up but he's obviously had a really tough couple of years and and last year he really suffered I think the problem for Dembele for me is that if he's going to come into that midfield three he's going to be have to be doing the 10 or 11 kilometers a match that um, Skip, Hoybier and, and, and Deli are doing. You know, unless there's a real turnaround, I find it hard to, to imagine him covering those, that kind of distance. And, you know, this is a system that's quite rigid. I, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk from Spurs fans about the need for a creative midfielder. And I agree with you, Steph, when you're saying that, you know, the way that, um, that Klopp, play, uh, the Klopp's Liverpool side plays is, is, is similar to what we're trying to achieve here. There, you know, there are some differences, but I think there are a lot of similarities. And I don't think he's looking for a creative midfielder in there. I think he's looking for, for the midfield to, um, to provide a shield for defence and he's looking for quick balls from defence to the forwards and he's looking for the the fullbacks to provide the creativity and uh, and the transitions so i think it's going to you know undembele is going to have to really really put in some yards if he wants to find a place in this side can i just make a point on the club similarities i agree with that i think we are trying to that is kind of similar to how we're playing with the more kind of productive industrious midfield but i think the thing that might be helping the defense at the moment is that reggie and tanganga aren't really going anywhere to keep that kind of tight when of course yeah. in liverpool system with alexandra and robertson they're providing absolutely yeah. everything going in the other direction so so protecting our defense is then taking away from what we might they might help up the yeah. field but too. i think that's why royale's come in and i think that's the idea right if you look at the yeah. passing maps for for the side at the moment what you see is you know really really thick lines between uh dyer sanchez hoybier and skip so that's where all our passes are going mm. and then uh hoybier is passing out to tananga and then, and he, and, and that's where, and he's not, you know, he's not very well equipped to that. That's, that's how, that's how we're trying to build attacks at the moment. It's all down the right side yeah. and then, you know, rotating between those. And a fullback who's better at um, providing assists or better getting forward should aid that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very clear that, you know, Nuno's been in what I would call sort of a prevent mode uh this early start uh just to get us through what has doubtless been one of the most turbulent two years of our of our recent modern history mm. um and has done a fantastic job as we've said countless times but i do actually i agree with everyone who's talking about tongi versus harry winks and this is gonna you know it's probably gonna be a f- you know, fairly irritating for some of our listeners to hear but there is no doubt that Harry Winks will get into that side ahead of Tongi at this point he'll get in I, I could see him coming in on the on the on the right of that narrow midfield and doing what what Hoybier does if necessary 
I mean, he's you know, it gets him it gets him further forward. It gets him closer to to being able to get into those spaces uh, where he can play a pass. He he played there once in in preseason, so he he has tried him there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he is uh, absolutely a, a, a quality player who has uh, suffered uh, somewhat unfairly. I think uh, number one from a diminished reputation due to number two being played in a role which is really not again his most comfortable. Mm. I mean, he was deployed as that deep deep. Yeah, deep midfielder last season quite often and and uh, and it's just not where he's at his best I think that's where Nuno's most likely to play him I think he's most likely to play as at the base of midfield again and that's where he's played him in, in but Europe but the difference so far. is that when Nuno plays someone at the base of midfield the entire the entire team is still like some like 7 to 10 yards further up the pitch than they were in the previous yeah, regime and that and makes all the difference that makes all the difference and he's got two players in front uh, besides him yes. doing the harrying um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Ndombele is going to get his chance in the in the conference, and he's going to have to take it. And Gareth has been sitting very calmly watching us all dissect this this, this conundrum of a situation, and I I'm sure that you've got some uh, something to say about it. So sorry for sorry for keeping you on the side, but no, I mean, my feeling about why hasn't Ndombele or Winks been sold? I, th- I think Ndombele, the club's intention's always been to keep him and. Hopefully, Nuno will get a tune out of him. And trying to join the dots between what we've seen in the media, any talk of Ndombele wanting leaving seems to have come from him, and it's been him and his agent saying actually he wants to leave, which isn't new news because he's been saying that for the well, certainly the last summer as well. So I don't think the club's had any intention to sell him. I think that if Ndombele had put his foot down a little bit earlier on in the transfer window, they may have looked more proactively at selling him. But I I think it's kind of in the club's interest, really, just to let's see what we can get out of him. I'm not sure on the numbers, probably one for Milo. Um, Winks being there is important for our homegrown Mm -hmm. quota, both in terms of the Premier League and in terms, I think more crucially, in terms of any European squads that we put together. So you can't get rid of one of your homegrown players unless you're going to replace them with another homegrown player. And we know that buying players from the Premier League or or domestic-based players isn't as easy as, as it might be. So I think that might be why both of them have stayed. I, I mean, I, th- I think with Winks, you, you look at how well Neves and Moutinho played in the Wolves side. And I know it's a slightly different shape, the one that we suspect Spurs are going to play. But if you know, if, if if Winks can achieve anywhere near the sorts of levels that Neves and Moutinho have done over the last couple of years, then we've got a really, really good player to come into the squad. Mm-hmm. When, when I look at the shape of the team and the and the personnel and where we've got and where we've got gaps in there. I think there's a huge bonus on Oliver Skip to stay fit and to have a really good full Premier League season because I think that what I've seen from Hoybier this season and what we've seen from him in Denmark is he's definitely not that midfield destroyer, that number four who sits in front of the back four and sweeps up. He's actually got, I mean, he's not creative in the sense Ndombele is, but actually you want him higher up the pitch. So I, I think if for whatever reason Skip loses form or he gets injured, I'd be really concerned about how we filled that deeper midfield position it would be high BS going back there. I, it? I think it would be. Yeah. I mean, we should look at it positively in the sense that in some games we're going to play Skip and Hoiberg, uh, and as you say, Milo, in other games um, we only need one of them. And the good thing is we only need one of them. So one of them might be able to play midweek. One might be able to play in the league game at the weekend. And this all counteracts the thing that we had the big problem with uh, last year was running mm-hmm. Hoiberg into the ground. 
So, I mean, it is, it, I understand what you're saying about if Skip gets injured, but as I say, because we are relying on them as well now. So it, it, it's a good problem to have. One of the good problems to have, let's put it that way. There's a lot to be seen. And I mean, look, I mean, uh, the, the fantasists amongst us will say that Dyer could always step into a holding midfield role, given we're playing further up the pitch. Yeah. I don't think Nuno would do that because I think Nuno's made it very clear that he sees Eric Dyer as a central defender. Third choice there would be Winks. It'd be Skip, then Hoybier, then Winks. And, and you'd have Winks with a couple of runners either side of him. We actually have options. But what I think has come from this last 10 minutes is that if any of you uh, were pondering why Harry Winks is still at the club, I think that the Games About Glory has made an extremely compelling argument as to why he's not only still with us, but how he can actually be uh, you know, a really important member of the squad this season. So uh, uh, some good work there, chaps, I think. I mean, it's, 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 I think we've unequivocally presented the case for Harry Winks. And, and Harry, you can send your Bitcoin to us, um, courtesy of... Uh, of Milo, he'll send you the details uh, when we're when we're off broadcast. Let's look at probably the most important component of the transfer window and what will be uh, the final uh, portion of our transfer window discussion, which is, you know, this has been our director of football, uh, Fabio Paratici's first transfer window. I think we do need to include Hitchin in this. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious the two of them are a firm partnership to the point where I personally have been very excited to see them on the bench actually leaping around like loonies uh, during the game. No, I think it's fantastic. I think it shows a spirit. Like Statler and Waldorf, you mean? Yeah. There you go. They <laughs> kind of do, don't they? You're right. It is a little bit. Yeah, it is a bit like that. You know, very well, well, smart, well, well played that. But um, I, I personally, I'll throw my thoughts down first. I've been very impressed with Paratici's work, not the least of which in getting Daniel to uh, terminate a contract. I don't think I ever remember that happening. Um, I'm, I'm open to being corrected on that, but I don't think I remember it happening. And I think he's shown, um, uh, you know, I think he's brought us back to the sort of signings which I mean look under ENIC we're most mm. comfortable with I mean that's 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 call the truth a truth yeah I mean maybe that's just where he's coming in the cycle in that you know we had a team that got to a Champions League final we didn't refresh it after that so it was getting older and then obviously we had a manager in who liked buying kind of peak age players so we had an old squad that desperately needed refreshing I think he's done a good job there one brief thing actually on on uh, his on the bench antics he got sanctioned by the Italian FA three times last season and and got a touchline ban for insulting match officials so uh, in December again a game against Torino um, he was shouting profanities at the uh, at the officials and, yeah, and got a touchline ban so th- there might be more to come from this and and that's good <laughs> it's fun I've got a theory on directors of football that you can't judge how good they've been probably until they've been gone by two or th- three years further down the line. So I think players, you judge their impact on what they're doing here and now. Managers, you probably want to see what's happened six months after they've left. And directors of football, it's it's about that longer term strategy. So I think it'd be difficult to judge how well he's doing for a few years yet. Um, I will say that whoever came took on that role this year, they'd be playing catch up for our mm. inactivity over that 2018-19 period. So I still think we're playing... Um, we're catching up with that one. But I feel really comfortable with the type of profile of player that 
that we're going for. I think it's very much within the Enic model. I think it's within the club's comfort zone as well of those buying those players who are aged between about 19 and 22 and you're buying potential. Um, so, so, so I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think I think he's, he's done a good... I'm not as hot on Paratici, but I suppose that's only because, you know, the, the proof will be in the pudding. We don't know what these players are like yet and that kind of thing. But, you know, we'll, we'll look at that with hindsight another day. But um, And he's basically been... It's good. I mean, he seems to be earning his money. He's basically just doing what he's paid to do. But I think credit to the man. Like, down at the coalface there, he definitely mm. seems a workaholic, a bundle of enthusiasm. And I think that's rubbed off on Hitchin as well. I think Hitchin's getting taken along with that. And we need as many of those kind of people in the club as possible. I don't know. I think um, it's early days. It's, it's early days for him. And I think he would have liked to probably do, done more work and more business than he did. But I think we're still slightly restricted in some ways. Because I think one thing we probably got wrong is um, estimating maybe the yeah. value of the players that we were yeah. going to get rid of. You know, when the Sissokos and whether the Winks went, whether Dyer went. And I mean, Sissoko, we got three million for in the end. We never would have thought that in the summer, yeah. really. We would have thought that there was going to be quite a kitty built out with them. And he didn't have that to play with. Going back to the um, squad review episode, and I think you and I, Ricky, were kind of totting up the sales. And I think we worked out that we got about 100 million to play with out of sales on top of the kind of 50 million that was left over from the Bank uh, yeah, Bank of England loan. Uh, sorry, the yeah. financing to repay the Bank of England loan. When we were talking about this, we said it was going to be a buyer's market, not a seller's. Not, uh, sorry, yeah, a buyer's market, not a seller's market. But we didn't, we underestimated how, how difficult it was going to be to sell players. On Paratici, I was just going to say briefly that if we think back to our fears when he joined, so I mean, obviously there was, people were concerned that he was going to be a Mendes man and that definitely hasn't happened this summer and you know that's something that we talked about and which in fairness is something you said would not happen I give you full credit for that because you said it at the time you said we were being unduly concerned by that and I disagreed so I was wrong on that I thought we were going to be the Mendes's dumping ground there was concern that Levy would be a backseat driver and apart from on the Kane deal or sorry, Kane not leaving, I can't see much evidence of Levy being heavily involved in this summer. Uh, you know, I think it looks like Paratici's had a reasonably free hand and it's been him and Nuno and Hitchin who've been driving it. I suppose, that, you know, the other thing was kind of Italy, wasn't it? It was it, 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 Italian-focused. But So we've got two from Italy, haven't we? Romero and Gallini, which I don't really think we've got too many complaints about at this stage, although obviously, you know, we would have a better idea at the end of the season. But yeah, I think as the kind of the preconceptions when he arrived, I don't think we should have too many concerns at the end of the window as to you know as to those. Well, I mean, quite frankly, I think you've been. I think it's been proven that the preconceptions were mis were misfounded. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I and I stand. I again, I stand firmly uh, up to saying that I thought we could very easily become a Mendes dumping ground. It was a great concern for me. And I will admit that once again, when I saw that he was taking on Triori in the last few days of the window, I thought, well, here we go. I mean, this is a fait accompli. And it, it obviously, it wasn't, it didn't work out uh, for whatever reason. So yeah, well, well said. I mean, I'm slightly worried that if you look at in the cold light of day, what we've actually done business-wise, we bought probably one player that's meant to be starting, Romero. We brought a, one player with talent, one player as a right, you know, Brian Hill, uh, one player who might be quite similar to Aurier as a right back, mm -hmm. you know, physical and quite mobile, and um, a backup keeper. Um, so he's not really, and of course, one of those players is lost in South America somewhere, not sure when he'll be coming back, and we might not, you know, see much of him in many games all the way up to Christmas. So that starting player might not even be a starter. So we are then left relying on Dyer and uh, Sanchez to continue their form. So it's quite hard to 
be mega excited about I mean all this needs to start somewhere and like I said before we have to start somewhere and we can't do everything in one window and getting players out was just as important as getting players kind of in but but what I would say is and but early on when we got rid of Lamella and Toby they were ironically the ones that if they if we couldn't get rid of anyone I'd rather those two stay and then some of the others have gone because um no because they're more reliable more reliable player just a more reliable player because we could be in trouble I've You're got gone. to disagree with you and I've got to call you on your on your worries and your anxiety again. I think there's two things that we're missing is number one, this squad has always been better than it than it looked in the last year, especially the last year. It's, we hope so. It's a fact. It's currently a fact. The body of evidence of some of those players having bad games is large. The body of evidence of them having good games is very small. It's three games long. It's three games under a new manager and a new system and a new way of behaviour and a new I agree. way of, play, yeah. of, of forming at the club. So Taking that as the model going forward, I think that we, you know, we do have to be a little calmer and maybe a little less anxious about where those players are going to take us. They've been there before. They can go there again with the right and prudent additions. I think the Harry Kane situation absolutely flipped our window. I think it flipped everything Paratici might have wanted to do because it was a will they, won't they, or will he, won't he situation. And we are talking about 150 million quid. That's 150 million quid that if he'd have been able to get, he probably would have been able to use at least half of it. Right? Can I just ask a quick question? So, you know, in terms of kind of last season versus this season. Um, last season, if we were able to play for 90 minutes, where would we have finished in the league? Same players, everything else is the same, same manager, yeah. but but we're fit. We'd have been top four. Top four. I mean, it's... The, the- so for me, the loss of goals... I'd be interested in looking at the stats on this, but for me, I think my gut feeling is that the loss of goals from Bale and Vinicius are offset by having a fit a fit team that look actually that play our best football in the last 15 minutes rather than fall off a cliff i'll be on it because basically what i do do a little bit of sometimes yeah is um <laughs> now what i do uh, sometimes is i do i quite often do other people's worrying quite often <laughs> and rather than and what i'm hoping is that i don't mind a journey i'm all up for a journey because that's the best bit of it isn't it really like we go from one phase to another phase and it can take a while to do it and all i'm worried about is how thick there looks like a lot of things might not come mm-hmm. to pass or might things might go wrong and all I'm looking at at this moment is I don't want those things to happen because I'm just looking for having a nice calm joyous period of our football club mm-hmm. that's what I'm hoping all I'm saying is I'm not worried about the journey but so many other of our fans are and they start just causing shit and I don't I don't want I don't want the toxic shit Steph basically that's what I'm saying no I understand but what I will say to them is to, to take a seat step back and and take a common sense approach to the to the situation I don't know if Harry Kane is going to be here after this season, but keeping him for this season while we are on this journey, while we have just signed relatively young players who are finding their way in was absolutely vital. Mm. Had we sold him and just signed young players, then I'd mm. be in your boat. I'd be like, whoa, this is a step too far. But this is where I think that, you know, Paratici and Hitchin have done a really good job. Um, and, 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 and Levy as well. They've understood the balances and the nuances and the Nuno factor, if if I can. So I think, with that said, I'm I'm very optimistic uh, that we will that we will be able to ease through this. I, I will say that I am comfortable with the balance, and and I do think that there are a lot of players in our squad who, as you've pointed out, uh, and I think we've all said, um, you know, were just not being treated properly in terms of their professional mm-hmm. health. Their, their fitness in the last year. And, and and I think that point that you just made, Milo, bears repeating. You know, if we could play 90 minutes, uh, I think we'd have made up the extra five points. Mm. 
<laughs> I mean, you know. So, so, so basically, it boils down. A lot of this then basically gets put on. Nuno's going to have to be the difference maker because he's the one yeah. that will change the culture and change everything. I, and I we think do. the other difference yes. is, is that the way we were set up last year, we only had two players up top. So, you know, our game plan effectively was everyone back, get the ball to Ndombele, and Ndombele gets the ball to Kane, Kane gets the ball to Son, and either Son or Kane scores. Mm-hmm. And this season, we've got three players who are sat up top. Even when we're defending, they're, they're up top all the time. And effectively, we need to be able to, you know, as you said early on, very early on in this episode, we need we need additional goals from Mora, Ali, and then if they come into the side, Lacelso and 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 Bele, and you know, and and Heel and Bergwin and you know the other options, um, uh, you know, at the top, but. You know, that's we, we need with a more team orientated approach. We need more team, more goals from across the side. And if we can get ten goals out of Delhi, and if we can get ten goals out of um, uh, you know Mora or uh, Bergwin, I think Bergwin's got ten goals in him if he once he once he gets the monkey off his back uh, or Hill. Um, then I think we've got you know you know and and we're not conceding late goals. Then I think we're close to where we were last season. And I, our aim has got to be is to be in the chase and hope that one of the bigger spending clubs slips up. Gareth, please come in again. You've been sitting patiently listening to us uh, discuss. Um, I'm sure you've got something that you want to add. No, I, I think what Milo just said there was absolutely right. I think par for us probably is fifth this year and we hope that one of Chelsea, United, City or Liverpool drops one this year or is at the end of a cycle and has a poor season and then we can try and steal, steal their spot. Yeah, I, I think this will be... I think ultimately this is going to be a transitional year is probably my my sense. And if we think back to the first Pochettino season, I think there's going to be some similarities. So all's well so far in terms of results. But at some point in this season, there's going to be a rick in there. We're going to go and lose at Southampton or we're going to go mm-hmm. and drop points at home to, I don't know, Newcastle or, or Burnley. And we're all going to be very agitated about it. I think the big picture is that this is probably season one in a three-year cycle and as long as we I think as long as we're in a positive position this year and you can see that there's real progress which yeah it probably is seeing games out and being able to play for 90 minutes and it's probably being able to sustain a you know a decent cup run in addition to being fairly consistent in the league I think we should be happy with that this year the squad we've got as long as it stays together is only going to get better mm-hmm. and under the right coaching and the right management and the right leadership then then we, we, we should see that we're at the start of a journey now okay let me just throw in a uh, let me just throw in a pop quiz uh, question there a 10 second answer okay top four or not Ricky I'm saying no I think so yes I think we've got a decent side Gareth no we'll be a little bit short this year I'll uh, speak of myself in the third person uh, Steph what do you think uh, yeah, I think it's going to be top four this year. That was American Steph. Okay, what I will uh, just round up is that uh, we had 13 departures uh, for an income of $35.9 million. I'm quoting a dollar figure here from the stats I'm looking at uh, because I'm looking at transfermarket.us. And the expenditure over nine players was $73.59 million, which leaves us $37.6 million in the red 
if you will, on our transfer business this summer, according once again to transfermarket.us. So, so I mean, again, when we talked about this before and we looked at the finances, we were talking about that uh, financing we got to repay the Bank of England loan. And we were saying there it's between 50 and 75 million. So we've got a bit of loose change left there for January or or put towards next summer if we need it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it has been a, an involved and long conversation. I think it needed to be. I think a lot has happened. Uh, a lot has gone on. Uh, I think the general feeling is uh, it's it's all positive. I think we would all mm-hmm. generally agree on that. So um, top of the league, aren't we? Top of the league. Top of the league. And you know, you're only as good as your last game. And we won the last game. And we won the game before that. And we won the game before that. So optimism reigns supreme with the games about glory. Uh, our next match is on um, the auspicious day of September 11th uh, against Crystal Palace away, uh, 12.30 p.m. kickoff. I mean, look, I suppose who we should play and, you know, who <laughs> do we have any central defenders? These are all questions which they appear to be being answered by the minute uh, from South America. Um, I don't know if any of you have had a chance to watch Palace yet this season. They are managed by our old enemy, Patrick Vieira. I have not not watched them yet but they seem to be um having a rather sort of bumpy and less than brilliant start um anyone have any thoughts on how we should approach this game so they, they made a lot of signings in the summer didn't they and they signed some good players but it, it can take it can take a I while for them so. to bed in and Vieira has had let's be kind a mixed start to management he hasn't got the best record so far so I think he's quite a risky appointment for them and then for us you're just touching on defense there we're going to be without Sanchez we're out without Romero so I think I wouldn't be surprised if Royale started this one and and uh, Jaffet moved into central defence alongside Dyer. Yeah, do you know that's exactly what I've got written. I've just written down what I think our starting eleven will be. There's so many variables in there because you don't know what condition players are going to come back from international duty from. I think Sonny's playing on Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe mm-hmm. in you know in career and needs to come back as well. Um, it probably doesn't help us that it's a twelve thirty kickoff as well. So it's like the first game of the weekend, and then we play seven games in twenty two days before the next international break as well. <laughs> well um so you've got to build that into you know you've got to build that into the equation when you're putting your team together for next week i would imagine that crystal palace will have far less players out on international duty Mm. as well so i I think we'll probably be at a bit of a disadvantage and i think it makes sense despite the fact we're playing an undoubtedly inferior opponent probably to try and play things as we've done for the first three games just get through the 90 minutes and if it's another one nil then you know that's something positive to build from um i think yeah palace i think palace have gone down the young route as well with their signings haven't they but i must admit i've not watched one minute of palace this season so far so I've not got a clue uh, Vieira has never really come across to me as being a manager type not that I know what that would be but he's just I don't know whenever he's done like panels on uh, games and that I've never really kind of seen him as a manager and he could well end up in the um, Lego man hair I think he's quite a spiky character isn't he Um, so their last result they got a good 2-2 draw at West Ham they had a lot of character to come back in that game yeah I mean I'll say one thing I think the crowd is going to have a massive effect and I think we're going to have to be ready Selhurst Park is a a, a loud and raucous crowd their fans are really really good for the home team I think that's going to be a major factor Uh, and one other thing I do want to say about Crystal Palace is I don't know if anyone agrees with me Steve Parrish their chairman just seems like a thoroughly decent bloke I mean everything that the guy says seems to make uh, sense and he seems like a decent guy have I got that wrong I I, I think so yeah I, I, I mean I'm, this is a really controversial football opinion here but his predecessor 
Simon Jordan, I actually really like listening to him as well. I think he gives you a really valuable insight on things that you just wouldn't know unless you'd ever owned a football club. But yeah, look, Steve Parrish speaks well, doesn't he? He's undoubtedly a, you know, a Palace fan and he's got he's got Palace at heart. And this is about the eighth or ninth consecutive season in the Premier League, which I think is totally unprecedented for them as a top flight side. So he's doing something right there. But he also seems to be one of the only chairmen who understands and sticks up for Daniel Levy in the way that we operate. It's because we haven't signed anyone off them, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> is that the only reason you think he's not at the, exp- he's not at the experience <laughs> of Levy wait, wait, wait till he yeah. signs Zaha for 15 million on January transfer deadline day oh, no. so we've concluded that Palace is going to be a tough match um, we will of course be looking at that next week lads let's try and bring it to a close without me mentioning thighs anymore or hair or actually more to the point Milo backing me up on thighs uh, so I will just say thanks very much it was a lot of fun and uh, uh, you know Good, good conversation as always. And, uh, and uh, yeah, good to have you back, Milo. Glad to see you found your stride with a little bit of a uh, little bit of a uh, tete-a-tete there over uh, the uh, mispronunciation on your part of Royal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, lads. That was a lot of fun. Yes, That's <laughs> awesome. See ya. Mm. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow and say hello. If you like what you hear, do your ears a favour and have a rummage through our archives. There is a plentiful supply of oral treasure to keep you entertained and informed on all things Spurs, hair, physical condition, and all other game-related matters. If you like the game is about glory, we'd really appreciate you taking thirty seconds of your time to give us a review on iTunes. Uh, and if you're listening on your phone, uh, put you know get on with it right now okay time waits for no one so just do it as always thanks for joining us and we will see you next week